Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 85 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, if you haven't noticed, the last few episodes, we've been trying to sort of focus on certain areas, um, areas that, that people have given us feedback on. Um, and, and tonight, we're going we're gonna to focus a little bit on another aspect of hybrid cloud. So uh, first and foremost, Aaron, how are you doing tonight, man? You've been traveling I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's been on the road a lot. But uh, actually, I just got back from California yesterday, and uh, I'm going to be actually be home for a few weeks. I don't know what, what that's like anymore. <laughs> Very cool. Well, listen, well, uh, happy Dos de Mayo to you and uh, future Cinco de Mayo to you. And uh, so, hey, we should tell people we uh, we have sort of an exciting announcement uh, for the show. Um, so we we always talk about the massive Cloudcast Studios. We actually are expanding the Cloudcast Studios. Yeah, exactly. It, it's going to be an interesting summer, right? Tell it, tell it, tell everyone a little bit about what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so basically, um, our wives said, "Hey, uh, we've got active kids, and they're going to be home for the summer. So both of you get the hell out of the house." And uh, so Aaron and I. <laughs> Are going. Um, we're going sort of bachelor style. We're renting a place that is upstairs from a bar. So our our new offices, Cloudcast offices, will be upstairs uh, from the bar. We may actually do some shows from the bar, uh, but it'll be fun. It's uh, sort of startup style, and uh, so that'll be good. And then we've we're not too far from our hundredth show, so we're going to have to get some feedback from the guests about what uh, what should be our hundredth show or who should be our hundredth show guest. Absolutely. Well, well, cool. Listen, um, so a uh, couple of things. Number one, Aaron's having all sorts of internet problems that so he may drop off periodically. Uh, but number two, and more importantly, uh, tonight's guest, we're, we're very excited to have him on. And like we talked about, we're going we're gonna to dive into sort of hybrid cloud. And the other thing that people have really been interested in is, is platform as a service. So we're going to kind of combine those tonight. And our guest tonight is uh, Navin Thadani, uh, Senior Vice President of Products at uh, new company startup Ravello Systems. Uh, Navin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been trying to get you on for a long time. Uh, we've we've finally gotten our act together about that. So first and foremost, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background prior to Ravello, and then uh, what what you guys are doing, you know, at Ravello, the types of problems you're trying to solve for customers. Absolutely. So uh, just a quick sort of a background. You know, the Ravello story started back quite a while back at Cisco when uh, Benny Schneider, Rami Thamir, and I, uh, the co-founders of the company sort of met. And, uh, you know, we stepped out of Cisco at that time. We did a company called KumraNet, which uh, you might have remembered. Um, it, that's where we came up with the KVM hypervisor. Okay. Now the, the standard in the, in the Linux distribution. And uh, so we did a lot of, lot of interesting stuff at KumraNet. Uh, Red Hat, obviously, Red Hat bought us at the end of it um, back in 2008. And uh, I was at Red Hat for about almost four years where I was running the virtualization business unit. Um, and then uh, Benny and Rami were sort of back in Israel running all the engineering operations from there. And uh, they decided to leave back in uh, 2011. I left in 2012. I left Red Hat in 2012 and joined them again. Uh, to do Ravello. So we've sort of all been together for a while. We've all got a, a, a quite a deep sort of background in virtualization and networking technologies. So Ravello aims to put a lot of that together and, uh, and really try to solve the hybrid cloud problem in a very unique and different way. Uh, and, you know, there are some pretty sort of specific things about how we're going to market that I'd love to share with you as well. But in general, that's the background of the company where 
We're funded right now. We've raised a total of $26 million from Sequoia uh, Capital, Bessemer Venture Partners, and Norwest Venture Partners as well. So, um, so it's all exciting. We're really, really happy to be doing what we're doing, and we're keen to continue driving our products and technologies into the market. Very, very cool. So it's, it's interesting. I think you guys are about the, the fourth or fifth uh, company that has actually, I don't want to say spun out of Cisco, but, but had some of their roots that the founders had, had met at Cisco or they had come out of Cisco, which for me is interesting. I was at Cisco for about 14 years, and while Ooh. I was there, they were always sort of known for being the company that acquired people. It feels yeah. like now they're becoming more and more the company that, you know, people are, you know, they learned enough, but and they're spinning out and they're going off and doing it on their own. So that's, that's yeah. very, very cool. That's um, actually interesting because uh, Benny and Rami had actually sold a couple of companies to Cisco before that as well. Okay. That's how they landed up there. So you're right about the sort of acquisition piece. In fact, Pentacom was one of them and P-Cube was one of them, if you remember back from sure. the days. Yep. Uh, that was uh, that was Benny and Rami. So that's how they got to Cisco, and I met them there. Very very cool. So um, so you guys position yourself. Your, your tagline is sort of the industry's first application hypervisor. So you know, I think most of our audience is pretty familiar with uh, server level, VM level hypervisors. What's a, what's an application hypervisor? Well, it's actually a cloud application hypervisor, but yeah, in general, um, the way that the way that you need to sort of think about it is, in the it, it probably makes it'll make a bit more sense if we step back a little bit and sort of look at some of the challenges that the industry's got right now in terms okay. of hyper clouds, right? Sure. Uh, essentially, what's what's going on is that you've got a data center and you've got applications that are designed to run in that data center. They're sort of hardwired there. You know, yep. you, you assume. VMware virtualization or KVM virtualization, certain types of networking, certain types of storage. You may be using multicast, static IPs, you know, things like that. There's, and, and that might have sort of gotten into the code of the application. So there are, in a lot of ways, a lot of enterprise applications are sort of hardwired to the internal data center. And to take that and run that in the cloud is requires a lot of work. I mean, oftentimes people talk about how it's you know a six-month-long migration project, and even the vendors these days are talking about sort of a journey to the cloud or migration to the cloud. You know that that really is the is the problem there. You know because it takes a lot of work to move your application to the cloud, and once you do that, it's sort of stuck in the cloud. There's there's no way to really run the application one day in your internal data center, one day in the cloud, in order to be able to achieve the nirvana which is being able to design your data center capacity for average load and then just being able to burst out or spill over into the cloud when you need it so you still maintain your agility, but at the same time, you're, you're sort of dramatically lowering your cost. So this is obviously the promise of everything in terms of where it could potentially go, but we believe that to date there hasn't sort of been a really good approach that allows you to do that without massively rewriting applications and re-architecting everything. So our, we think that our technology can, can definitely help solve a lot of these challenges. And that's the general area, the, the meta-level problem that we're focused on. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I, I mean, I know, you know, Aaron and I, for a number of years, were sort of involved with the, the hype and the, the build-out of, of sort of, you know, what was virtualization? People started calling it private cloud. But I, I think more and more we, we've been, it's been becoming very clear to us that, you know, to get from uh, server virtualization to the things that you can do in public cloud, like attributes of it, you know, elasticity and on-demand and self-service and metered and like that jump is 
like going from kindergarten to, to college. It's not really a step. It's, I mean, it's a massive leap. And so, yeah, I, I think anybody who can sort of gay say, you know, we may need to step back and look at the hybrid cloud differently, the, the model of it in terms of, like you said, getting resources sort of on demand regardless. Um, I think it's the right time to do that. I think that the sort of the older model of, I hope it comes together and everybody relearns it uh, yeah. is, is, is sort of stalled itself out. So, so what you guys do uh, is is sort of a, you you take applications if I if I completely understand it right it's you take the applications today so it, this isn't totally new applications this is existing applications and you do sort of a a wrapping of them or an encapsulation of them um, so that they can sort of be moved as a whole into these new environments without the you know without having to know it's a new environment is that sort of right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we talk about applications, we're talking about entire applications and their whole environments. So consider consider an application that consists of, uh, you know, let's say a firewall, a load balancer, certain routers, different subnets, switches. Uh, you've got a bunch of different web servers, front ends. You've got a bunch of app servers, back ends. You've got uh, databases that could be configured in certain ways. Um, uh, you know, you've got queuing servers. You've got you've got a whole bunch of different things that go into this this application. Okay, right. and what we do is we come in and we essentially, exactly as you said, we encapsulate that entire application uh, so that it can now you know it's it's abstracted from the underlying infrastructure, and you can now run that entire application in any cloud without making any changes at all. That's the, the, the capability of the technology. That's what we're sort of driving towards. And it's essentially, if you think about it, it's exactly the same thing that was done at individual VM levels way back when VMware started with x86 virtualization. What they did was they abstracted the underlying hardware from the, from the server itself or the operating system in the application. So that now allowed sort of portability. It allowed abstraction, which is exactly what we're doing. But we're doing it for the entire application, including all of its elements and all of the uh, the environment that it that it consists of as well. Okay. Now, now, real quick, and I, I know Aaron's going to jump in here in a second, but um, you know, an, an application, a multi-tiered application, is one thing. What do you what do you do about like dependencies, like like you know, Active Directory or or, or, or LDAP or things that probably aren't going to move because they're kind of central services. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. In the way we're looking at it right now in the first sort of phase of what we're doing is we, we want you to take sort of that entire application and all of its components. So in this particular case, all the dependencies that are there, you'll be able to take that. In fact, we're working with, uh, we're, we're beginning to work with a lot of enterprise customers now that have applications that you believe it or not, like 200 VMs or more, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that, that's sort of the environment. So what they want to be able to do is they want to take this entire environment, encapsulate it, and then move it in the cloud so that now and the first use case, this is something we haven't sort of really talked about yet, but obviously it's going to take a long time for people to be able to uh, really uh, use a hybrid cloud for everything. So what we're saying is in the beginning, and it, you know, if you really think about it, it's, it's very beneficial if you focus on the development and test space. You know, we believe that this is ripe for sort of disruption because... The way enterprises develop applications today, if you if you step back and look at sort of application development itself, it's a very bursty workload, all right? And what happens is, you know, as you sort of march towards your milestones, 
the, re the resources required to develop and test your applications spike up, and then after you meet that milestone, they sort of fall down again, and then they build up again as you approach the next milestone. So if you look at it, it's a very classic sort of a bursty workload. And what usually happens, at least from what we've seen, is that most enterprises never have enough resources for development and test. So their projects always end up sort of getting dragged out and drawn out. People don't test enough. The testing is not done on replicas of the production environment. So issues are not found till much later, you know, in either staging or in production, you know, worst case when it's out there in the field already. So there's, there's all kinds of issues that arise because there is a lack of capacity in development and test and because it's very difficult to duplicate production environments to do proper development and testing. That's the approach that, and that's the problem that we're going after right now. We're saying, look, you know, use, even if you have to deploy your applications on premise for production, either due to security concerns or due to regulatory concerns or just that's the way you want it, uh, that's okay. You can still use the unlimited resources of the cloud and this encapsulation and the easy ability to create replicas of a production environment on demand in any cloud. You can still use all that to develop and test your applications a lot faster, a lot better than you've been able to do it with a lot higher quality and at a fraction of the cost. So we think that all these sort of things come together, it's a really good use case. So for that, you'd want to basically encapsulate your entire application with all of its services, et cetera, have an isolated version of that running in the cloud, and then you can now sort of create as many copies as you need on demand for development and test. That's the, that's the approach that we, that we want the industry to sort of start with and, and start reaping the benefits of using the public cloud for a very agile, very, uh, very flexible sort of a dev test workload. And and <clears throat> that's that's perfect because actually my comment I was going to jump in was it really reminds me of I'm very familiar with the old VMware Lab Manager product and it w it really did a lot of that exact same thing of how do you spin up multiple workloads that are exactly the same every single time you spin them up quickly you use them for a short amount of time you tear them back down and this encapsulation was exactly what that product was designed to do to make sure all of your environments are same and consistent no matter where you were spinning them up. So that's that's fantastic to hear. Yeah. yeah, actually it's interesting you bring that up because we certainly have sort of looked at that and we sort of compared what we're doing to, to the way that that approach had worked out. Uh, it, it's interesting that there are two sort of fundamental problems we think with development tests today in enterprises. The first one is a lack of capacity. Right yep. now, we've actually done an internal analysis of, of stuff. I'll be um, giving a, a, a presentation on this, uh, a keynote at uh, uh, Glucon later in May, and I'm actually going to do a case study of our own sort of application development. What's interesting is you find that if you look at engineering uh, or software developers committing code, on average, it might be let's say a certain number of commits per hour, you know, four or five, whatever. Uh, for a certain size of team, obviously. Uh, but during times leading up to the release, we've seen it spike all the way up to sort of 30, you know. And and you really think about that, you're talking, you know, 8x, 9x variability or an increase in resources that are required to properly develop and test your, your applications. So if you have a fixed amount of capacity internally, which is sort of what Lab Manager was all about because you still had to build out your capacity internally in the data center, and, uh, and then be able to provision these different environments on that, you still had limited capacity. 
The, the way we want to do this is we want to say, you know what, that's the kind of workload that you want to use the cloud for. Spin up as many copies as you need. They're all going to run for a few hours anyway, maybe less than an hour. Just run as many copies as you need. Every single one of your developers and test engineers can get as many instances as, as they need on demand. You can even connect Revelo to a continuous integration system and automate it to a point very easily where anytime somebody checks in code, you automatically spin up a whole instance of the application in the cloud, run your integration tests on a replica of your production environment. When you're done, shut them down and get back the results. And this is all happening in, you know, this is something you can implement very easily today. See, that unlimited capacity element is a very important piece that we think Lab Manager didn't address earlier. And yep. the other element is the difference in sort of the encapsulation piece as well. I mean, here, you know, there it was done a lot at the network fencing level, whereas in our case, it's sort of a complete abstraction of the underlying infrastructure itself. So that, there are some advantages to that as well. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and when, yeah. you know, the one thing I was going to add, too, is I was at the um, AWS Summit out in uh, San Francisco this week, and I yeah. sat in the, the DevOps section, um, and there was one, they put a slide up. I don't remember the, the exact context of it, but it was, it was very clear. In the, it prevents the problem of, well, it worked on my laptop. Which yeah. <laughs> it seems to seems to happen a lot of time with development, right? Yeah, no, um, it's, that's absolutely right. I mean, this is really the issue. It, one, I mean, Dev, the DevOps movement is obviously about a lot of different things, but one of the things it's about, one of the important things that it's about, is ensuring this consistency between your development environment all the way through to production. And this is something that we believe we can really do. And you know. You're absolutely right. The whole sort of it worked on my laptop, oops, kind of problem is 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 pervasive everywhere. And the reason for that is, again, lack of capacity because people don't have infinite budgets to build out lab environments for peak commit rates and things like that internally. And at the same time, even if they did and they've got an unlimited amount of capacity, just replicating those environments is painful because not everything is is completely automated the way that we uh, we may think right now. Not everything can be spun up with a set of scripts entirely and the whole environment automatically sort of built. I mean, that doesn't, you know, certainly for some applications it might be the case today, but but for the majority of them, it's not. Yeah, so so this is really interesting. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, is, is constantly keeps coming back to me as people talk about, you know, especially private clouds is, you know, I keep coming back to this idea that, your IT organization's budget isn't designed for elastic. It's not designed for you don't know how much capacity you need. I mean, it's always been designed around build a project, get a budget, yeah. build this stuff. And um, you know, wh when I when I first started looking at what you guys did, the 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 one concern I had initially is I said, well, wait a second, you're going to have you know applications probably running in a hypervisor, and then you're going to wrap another hypervisor around it. So, uh oh, you're going to have performance problems. But but if like you said, you're targeting dev and test and the idea that it's it's about unit test, it's about sort of interoperability test, performance is, is less of a high priority in those cases as much as I want to test, I want to test fast, I want to test scale and um, so it, it makes a ton of sense that you guys are going yeah. after dev. And you want to test on, yeah. And you want to test on replicas of your production, which yeah. is probably the most important thing. So yeah, no, absolutely that's exactly right. You know, on the performance side, though, uh, you mentioned that. Let's definitely talk about it. What what we've done, and this is, you know, it's, we started out sort of talking about what is this cloud application hypervisor. Well, it, it actually consists of three different things. Um, so let's cover the performance yeah. elements as we go through it. You know, the the first one is really this this notion of uh, a, a high performance nested hypervisor, right? And what we've done here is that we've built something from the ground up to run nested, 
So we've been able to take care of a lot of the sort of architectural limitations and assumptions that previous hypervisor makers have, have had to make, uh, KVM included. You know, uh, so VMware and and KVM now because they're designed to run on physical x86 servers, they don't run very well nested. And uh, as a result, the performance there is really bad. But in our case, we've designed it from the ground up. We've done binary translation. Uh, we have a really nice implementation of that. We've done a lot of optimizations there to make sure that the performance is as good as we can make it right now, with a lot of improvements to come, obviously. You know, we're still sort of in our public beta as we speak, but sure. there's a lot more to come. So even right now, depending on the kind of workload that you have, your performance overhead could be as little as 2% for compute-bound workloads. And uh, can you hear me? Yep, we're yes. still here. Sorry. Yeah, so the performance overhead can be as little as 2% for compute-bound uh, workloads, 2 to 5%. Uh, but for I.O.-bound workloads, it could be a lot more. So it really sort of depends. Uh, sure. So you're right. There definitely is a performance overhead. But as we talked about, you know, in the case of uh, uh, test and dev, it, 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 it's less important, certainly. And, uh, you know, that said, it really depends on the application to really know what the overhead is. Sure. And, and, and based on your background, it, it makes complete sense that, that it works very well with KVM. Um, I, I know uh, in uh, on your website you mentioned vSphere as well. Do y'all do Zen as well? What are what are all the hypervisors you do support? Yeah, so so a good question. So the the idea here is that you can take a, a VMware virtual machine that's running in your on-premise data center and run that completely unmodified in any public cloud. Amazon, Rackspace, HP Cloud, those are the clouds we support today. Okay. Uh, so essentially what you're doing is, you're, so think about this, you're taking a VMware VM, you're running it unmodified on a Zen hypervisor, right, or a KVM hypervisor. And that's the, the way we do that is through this high-performance nested hypervisor layer that we've built. So that's what allows the virtual machine to run unmodified in any cloud environment. So today you can take a VMware VM and run that anywhere in any cloud, or you can take a KVM VM and run that anywhere in any cloud. We can add support for Hyper-V as well. The moment we see some demand for that, we'll go ahead and add it. It's pretty easy to do that. So that, you know, you can expect that to come up uh, in the next few months. Uh, and then we can add additional cloud providers on the other side as, 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 as we see them sort of emerging. And as long as they're good and they're stable, we can go ahead and add them. And the reason for that is because Ravello is actually offered as a service, so there's no software that you need to install anywhere. The way it works is you simply sort of take your virtual machine, upload it to Ravello, the service, and then from there you literally drag and drop those virtual machines onto a canvas. That's assuming you're using the GUI, there's also an API. But you drag and drop those virtual machines onto a canvas, you click publish, and you can publish it to Amazon directly. That's it. So that's how you get your application into uh, any cloud. Then you can create blueprints and create as many copies of that particular application as you need. So it's really seamless, and uh, it's all offered as a service. Very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so, I mean, we've, we've had Bromium on a couple of times, and, and you guys are a little bit similar to them in that you're sort of the the, the spin-out or the second generation of, of the hypervisor guys. So your knowledge of what it does uh, is, is, is going to be sort of superior to folks that are using it uh, sort of, you know, standard Zen in the case of Bromium and the, the Zen guys and your guys' case, KVM. But, but it was interesting when you, you, just, you just brought up a point that sort of was a question I was going to ask was this idea of, you know, what if you have an environment that's, that's not existing, you want to you wanna start building it and you want to put it into, uh, into this hypervisor, into this, this sort of nested thing. And I think you just laid it out there. If you've got 
a VM, you've got some things you can just, that's very cool. You can just drag it into your, basically into your service and your service is going to take care of putting it into Amazon, keep up with Amazon's API. And then when, when you're done testing and you want to pull it back into the enterprise, is it, is it literally just sort of an unwrapping process? And yeah, uh, you, just okay. down, you can download the virtual machines and run the same thing because it's the same VMware VM. It's the same VMDK, for example, right? Yeah. So let's say you started with VMware. It's, you got a VMDK, you uploaded that VMDK, you then ran it in any cloud, you copied it, you duplicated it. Uh, Everybody is doing development and testing on that entire application. Now those VMs have changed a little bit. You can either sort of download that VM and bring it back if you want. That's very easy to do because it's a VMDK. It'll just run in the same way in your enterprise. Or if you've been developing an application, you can, because the environment was exactly the same as it was back on premise, you can just bring your code back and rebuild it really easily as well. So it depends on the kind of application you've got and whether you've made any changes to the environment or not, but both mechanisms are possible. And uh, you know, we see we see a lot of our users sort of exercising both, uh, both approaches. Yeah, they address probably one of the biggest concerns that I see today is a, a lot of people like, you know, AWS or, or Rackspace for that test dev features, but yeah, they, but they're usually running VMware in-house, and and so you're able to bridge that use case of of keeping every everything very consistent, and actually be able be able to run that you know in this case say a, a vSphere virtual machine, but run it in a public cloud. Exactly, and actually this is really interesting because uh, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this because it's it's actually not just being able to run a VMware virtual machine in Amazon or Rackspace or HP. You know, certainly that's a very important part of it, being able to do that without making any changes. We think that's that's really important. But think about it. There's another, there's another big element that's missing, and this is really the second piece of the cloud application hypervisor. So the first one was the, the high-performance nested hypervisor. Okay? The second one is this notion of a software-defined network for the application. You know, We call it an I.O. overlay. But think about it this way. If you had some other magic sort of way to take your VMware VM and run that in AWS, the, you know, the application itself still wouldn't work because the VMs won't, won't be able to communicate with each other not in the way that they did back in the enterprise. They might have had a certain networking scheme or they might be using multicast, they might be using broadcast, they could be using any number of you know, topologies or, or, or protocols, and they might have certain sort of uh, layer two networking elements in there, things like firewalls and load balancers and switches and things like that, which, which cause all kinds of issues otherwise. So how do you sort of put all that together? And, and that's why we came up with this, this notion of an application uh, a network for the application. We call it the IO overlay. And that's what allows, it, it's created and defined automatically uh, for you and you can then sort of go in and tweak things if you want. You can customize it if you need. But the basic sort of application network is defined for you the moment you upload your VMs. So the way, so the the moment you press publish and you deploy it to any cloud, the the application itself will work in exactly the same way as it did back in the enterprise. You don't have to change a thing. Not anything in the VM. Not anything in the in the networking settings and the networking topology. Nothing like that. It all sort of works exactly as it is. That's one of the big elements of, of the cloud application hypervisor as well. Interesting. So, so you know, one, one of the fun parts that, that we get anytime we're, we're talking to, to new companies, young companies, is, uh, you know, our, our mind starts wandering. We start hearing about the cool things you're doing. So it doesn't uh, – so you guys are, in, in essence, sort of taking a snapshot of an environment – 
putting into the cloud. Are you seeing people trying to push the envelope on that and treating those snapshots as, as almost like a, a DR type of environment? Or, or still, is, it, is, it, is that too many things to think about? It's mostly focused on dev environments. That's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, we're seeing a lot of different use cases possible. And this really is, is the hybrid cloud, right? This sort of, yeah. think about it, this is the implementation of the hybrid cloud. And, and there's a lot of things you can do with it, DR included. Uh, in fact, you can think of a very, very basic DR implementation where you've got a clone of the application running in the cloud. Uh, you know, you're sort of, you have the main application running on premise. You've got sort of, you're doing your, you're backing up your database the regular ways that you do right now, periodically. And uh, you're constantly maintaining or restoring the database on the other side, so it's reasonably in sync. And then uh, if there's ever a problem in your data center, all you've got to do is do the last restore of your database, flip your DNS, and you're good to go. That's your, that's literally as simple as a DR solution as you can get. Now, obviously, you can get more sophisticated than that as well, and you can start doing sort of synchronous this and that. But at the end of the day, the, 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 the fundamental technology definitely does enable that. We're seeing people ask for it. But as far as we're concerned, you know, we, we really want to laser focus on the development and test market because we've seen so many challenges in that space. There's a, there are acute pain points, and uh, this is a, a something that's easy enough for enterprises to get started with. There's, there are less sort of challenges and uh, barriers to jump through in order to implement it. So dev and test from that perspective is great. It's ripe for disruption, and we think this is a brand new use case for the cloud. So whichever way you look at it, you know, it's a, it's, we think that that's a, a great place to start. But if people want to do other things with the technology, absolutely, we're happy to work with them and support them. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. I, it was, you know, one of the, one of the questions that that we had jotted down ahead of time is is to sort of explore. So, I mean, you guys are you guys are funded by Sequoia. Sequoia is always looked at as as a very forward looking type of VC firm, and and it was, you know, the initial thing we thought about is well, they're kind of they're kind of going after legacy apps. I bet that was kind of a hard sell. But when you when you put it in the context of of the way you're talking about it, you're not really selling anything to do with the application, you're really selling this idea that, that IT or the developers can basically have, you know, sort of virtually unlimited resources. And that's that's really powerful. That's, I mean, I think that's the story you guys are ultimately selling, correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. The cloud for unlimited capacity, you replicate your environment as many times as you need, and now you've transformed your internal sort of constraint or driven or constraint-oriented uh, development environments into something that's sort of a lean, mean, agile machine powered by the cloud. You know, something like that, right? Then that's exactly the 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 point behind the use case is that you can transform all of that into something that's a lot more seamless, a lot more, a lot more agile, and uh, something that benefits developers as well as the business owners uh, substantially because you're getting your applications developed faster, you're getting them developed with better quality, and uh, after all, that's what it's about. Yeah. Now, now, question about about so today it's Amazon. Amazon's for the most part always the easiest cloud to get onboarded. People understand the API. Are there plans to to look at other clouds? Yeah, we uh, today itself we support. Uh, you know, we're in beta right now. We'll be coming out with GA later this year. But uh, but even in our beta version right now, we support uh, being able to import virtual machines from VMware and KVM, and then of course deploy them to AWS. No question about it. You can do that today. Also, Rackspace and also uh, HP Cloud. Okay. okay. So those are the ones that we've enabled today. And then, as you know, as we go further down the road, we see that there's demand for others. Uh, we can definitely enable those as well. It takes us, 
you know, depending on the cloud, anywhere between two to three weeks to add a cloud, uh, maybe a month at the most to add a cloud, do our proper extensive testing that we do, you know, and the certification sort of thing that we do for the for the underlying cloud, and then add that to the product. It takes about a month, so it's relatively easy for us to add more clouds as we go along. And I just wanted to say too, I, I really like the appearance of. Uh, I want to say it was in a video on your website, but it was almost like this push button to the cloud, right? Of of take your virtual machine, you import it in, you, it does all the encapsulation, and you kind of tell it where to go, and it just goes and does everything for you. And I sat through. Um, uh, an AWS uh, technical boot camp earlier this week and just learned an absolute ton about AWS um, mm -hmm. and all the features you can, you can do and all the, the things. And it was, a, it was a great boot camp, but I also came away with, wow, that's a, there's a lot to do and there's a lot to set up. And <laughs> that's exactly right. That's and and it, it definitely seems like, you know, for... Yeah, I come from an operations background, so it wasn't terribly hard for me to grasp a lot of the concepts, but there were some developers in the room, and, and you could tell that it was just, you know, way too much going on, way too many moving parts for, yeah. for some of the developers in the room, and so I could see this also really helping them. Yeah, no, certainly we hope so, and uh, the other way to also look at it is the stuff that you saw is just AWS, and you go to Rackspace, and it's a whole different set of things, and you go to HP Cloud, and it's a whole different set of things, so, uh, you know, being able to maintain that flexibility and and, uh, and the ability to sort of use any underlying cloud and infrastructure is a lot of work if you don't do it with something like, with a technology like what we're talking about. Yeah. No. And the, I mean, the other thing that's going to be really interesting to me, and I, I'd be curious, and I'll sort of make this the last question, is, you know, you you're talking about dev and test, which you know, if we're talking about sort of traditional applications tend to be aligned to IT, I'll be really curious, or if you guys got any feedback, are you finding your, your initial customers are sort of traditional IT, i.e., you know, sort of fall in that buyer, or are they sort of shadow IT? You know, how much is shadow IT going, wow, I heard about this, and man, that was easy, and I can just do it, or, or, you, or you tend to go through the IT department? Yeah, it's sort of a, a, a healthy mix of both, uh, at least where we sit right now. You know, we are seeing a lot of developers and software development managers, in fact, even a lot of QA, uh, QA managers that have heard about it and they're trying it out and they're experimenting with the solution now. So it's certainly, you know, that that's one camp if you look at it. And, and IT as well, on the other hand, is very interested because at the end of the day, they're trying to provide a service to their developers. And the better quality service that they can provide, the better off they are. And this is a great way for IT to be able to, you know, use the same standard VMs that they're using back in the enterprise, the same standard sort of everything, networking, all of the, the stuff stays exactly the same. And they're giving their developers the freedom to be able to use the cloud. So it's sort of, the, in a way, almost the best of both worlds for them. Uh, and then think about when, when the application's done and you want to sort of bring it back. It's much easier to bring it back now rather than in the traditional sort of shadow IT route. So we're finding interest from all the different segments in the market, which is, which is really interesting at this point. So we really need to think about where we want to focus and how we want to take this thing forward. But as far as the demand is concerned, it's certainly out there. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, listen, uh, Aaron and, and, uh, and Navin, I think we're, we're sort of out of time. Like we always say, we've hit that mark where people are uh, done listening on their commute. Um, Aaron, you want to you sort of wrap it up and take us home? Yeah, absolutely. We are out of time this week. Uh, Nevin, where, where can everyone find out more about both you and uh, Ravello Systems and more about the products? 
Absolutely. We have, uh, obviously, on, on the website, ravellosystems.com, uh, you get a lot of information there. We've got a lot of details about the technology, the use case. Uh, people can sign up today. Uh, we, it's a free beta that we're offering. We even pay for the underlying VMs uh, that you might want to deploy to AWS or Rackspace or HP. So it's definitely worth just signing up, giving it a shot, trying it out. Uh, it's all out there. So it's on the website, ravellosystems.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at Ravellosystems, and uh, that's probably the best way to reach us. We have a LinkedIn page. Um, any which way, we're, we're around. We're trying to be all over, so <laughs> you cool. can uh, definitely uh, reach us whenever you need. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. All right, everybody, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.